Hi everyone, it's Stephanie Kay and welcome to a new episode of Hey Stuff. So I'm going to dive right in and in this episode I'm going to talk about what black history means to me. As I say that it sounds like a essay, but I actually don't have anything written. I am planning to speak from my heart about what being black means to me. I start by giving so much honor and love and respect to my ancestors, to my parents and their parents for all that they overcame so that I can enjoy the life that I currently do. Both sets of my grandparents migrated from different parts of the South, seeking a better life in the North, specifically Chicago. And Chicago at the time was where it was at because of the cattle industry and the trains, being able to be a porter, city jobs, working in the steel mills, working in the auto factories that were there in places like Indiana, which isn't too far from Illinois. So it just was a promise of opportunity where your hard work would be met by a decent living wage. I remember my grandfather, because I only got to meet one set of my grandparents, but my grandfather told me growing up in rural Arkansas, he told me that he only went to school when it rained. And when he told me that, I was like, really? And he said, yeah, because at that time, you were required, even as a young child, as a young person, as soon as you were old enough to do so, you were responsible for contributing to the family by working. And so it involved working in the fields and picking cotton and, you know, whatever, to help support the family. And I never forgot that story, that the only time my grandfather was allowed to participate in the educational process, the privilege of getting an education was when it was raining and thus the weather was inclement and there wasn't much that he could do outside. And so you fast forward many, many decades, and my family, despite the laws that made it very difficult to secure things like mortgage, mortgages, to be able to become homeowners, things that I know I take for granted. I can pretty much buy a house anywhere I want so long as I have the money and criteria to do so, but to know that that wasn't the case 
and that women, for example, could not at one time get so much as a credit card without having her husband sign for it. So these are things that just sound so crazy and archaic today in 2022, but this was a reality. And we're not talking about two, 300, 400 years ago. In somebody's lifetime, this is how it was. And then the laws eventually changed. So when I think about my family, how despite it being challenging to get jobs, because look, everybody couldn't work at the steel mill. Everybody wasn't going to be a porter. Everybody wasn't going to, you know, drive the bus or, you know, join law enforcement. Just they weren't going to do that. So some people had to become a business owner and really not by choice. It was to address things like racism and prejudice that said, I'm not going to do your hair because I don't support or accept business from people who are black. Um, Even as far as in death, um, that was even segregated. There were times when cemeteries and even funeral homes were segregated. And so there, my family, my, my paternal grandfather was a mortician and that is largely based upon need you know people in need regardless of their race color creed sexual orientation or whatever else they they deserve to have last rights if that's what they want to have and so i look at my family and i know that a lot of times we you know think about the figures, you know, the titans among us, like Dr. King and Maya Angelou, who is being commemorated on U.S. currency, the first black person to have that honor. And I do consider it an honor. I do understand that there's different narratives about that. And I respect that, but I consider it an honor that Maya Angelou and everything that her legacy that she stood for in her art and her story, she is, she was as much a part of this American story and the American fabric as anyone that does currently appear on any U.S. currency. And thus, she has earned her rightful place in silver. I definitely, in my heart, it's gold. Because it's people like her that inspired people like me to do what I'm doing, namely becoming a literary person. So I know it's very easy to look at people like that and to say, well, wow, you know, look at these people and look outside of our own communities. And this isn't just reserved for black people. I think that anybody, especially, you know, people of color. We all have someone within our own community, people that we know, that we see every day in our circles that we can be proud of. And not that we shouldn't be as proud of the people that appear in our history books, um, such as they are. Um, Sometimes it takes and it takes a necessary, meaningful pause to look within your own 
family usually and to look at the people who helped you literally become who you are. And as someone once said, you know, to recognize whose shoulders you stand upon, who had to fight and had to sacrifice and had to have something that Tanya Dalton, she's an author, podcaster. If you're not familiar with her, definitely look her up. But she has this concept that I thought was so beautiful and it was called cathedral thinking. Or she refers to it as cathedral thinking. And I'm I'm hoping that I'm paraphrasing her correctly, but her concept was in reference to the builders of magnificent structures such as Notre Dame. Those builders understood that they would be embarking on being a part of history by starting the process of creating this beautiful structure that would eventually be a cathedral even though they were pretty sure that they would not live to enjoy the very building, the very edifice that they built. She refers to it, Tanya refers to that as cathedral thinking, being able to see past the present moment and not just think, well, I'm only going to build something or I'm only going to be a part of something if I directly benefit from it or someone that I know directly benefited from it. Those builders did not get to benefit. They never got a chance to sit into that building, sit inside of that building, but they still proceeded and they still saw the vision And they help to be a part of history. And so I think about, well, what if we think about our ancestors like that, the way Tanya so beautifully states it? What if we apply that to our ancestors, that perhaps they had a level of cathedral thinking that, you know what, I'm going to go through what I'm going through. But I know that two generations from now, three, four, five, however many in the future, that those kids won't have to go through that. My grandfather had to pick cotton and go to school when it rained so that I didn't have to. I went to school regardless of the weather, you know, so long as school was open. So... It's so important to me when I think about what black history is. I think about my own history and the people, not just in my family, but in my circle. Growing up in Chicago, I was very privileged because Chicago has a history of racial segregation. It just kind of begins, well, I can't really say it kind of begins, but part of the story is how the city is geographically segregated and separated, actually. The expressway, which is now called the Dan Ryan Expressway, that road, that highway, is actually what it is, it was built directly in the middle of the city. 
<laughs> and, you know, you can debate the motives or whatever, but be that as it may, it literally divided the city from one side from the next. So I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and so that was a predominantly black neighborhood. So growing up, I went to predominantly black schools. Um, I went, I was in a, an environment where most of the businesses in my community, they were black, don't, black owned or they were owned by other people of color. So I saw upward mobility in my community. I mean, look, I'm not going to try to romanticize the city. Um, I think any urban metropolitan city, I mean, the larger it is, the harder it is to manage and to govern what everyone does. And I'm not trying to make excuses for law enforcement, past or present. It's a major city and things happen and there's a variety of reasons. But, you know, just to stay on message here, I grew up with a positive sense of self and that started in my home. That started with the values that I was exposed to growing up. The value of education, of hard work, um, honest work. Um, I remember I was little. I mean, I remember, you know, being so little that, um, you know, when you're in the grocery store and, you know, you're in the checkout with your with your parents. And so, you know, right at eye level. And I think that that is absolutely a Jedi move on behalf of these stores. So right there to the right, usually is, you know, candy and gum and all the things that little people would like, right? I mean, big people like it too, but you know, little people, especially they're attracted to the colors or whatever. So I'll remember, I remember I I was single digit. So I'm going to think maybe I was four or five and we went to the store. And um, so as we were leaving the store, well, I could not wait to crack open my bounty. Okay. What was my bounty? As you would ask. My bounty was a pack of Freedent gum. And if you do not know what Freedent gum is, it's gum that is more geared to people who wear dentures so that they could chew gum and it not affect their dentures or their dental work. But hey, I guess I was desperate and it was what I could grab at the moment. And so I took it. And of course, I couldn't read at the time. So I didn't know that I was taking gum that I probably wouldn't enjoy. It just was right there. And, you know, I wanted it, right? So um, so as I crack it open, meaning that I open up the package barely with us out of the store good, my mother is like, what is that? What do you have in your hand? <laughs> you know, gum, like holding it up, looking, you know, showing her. So I'm busted now, you know. And wouldn't you know it, she had me walk back into the store with the gum and give it back. Yep. She was not having it. And she let me know 
right then in that moment that what I did was wrong, that if there was something that ever I wanted, the right way to handle that was to let her know, to ask for it and to not take anything that did not belong to me or that I did not pay for. So that mess, that message was crystal clear for me, but it's values like that, that you correct the child and you let the child know what is right, what is wrong, what is expected of them. And she wasn't as worried about what the store owner or whomever would say about her for me, you know, copying the, 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 the Freedent gum, but she made it right. And she made it right by allowing me to make it right by correcting my error and my misjudgment, even though I was a little kid and I didn't know any better, but that was a teachable moment if ever there was one. So when I think about black history, I think about how I was taught. And look, I'm not trying to portray myself as somebody who did everything right. I did not. Um, I still don't. And I don't know anybody who does. But I do know that whenever I get lost, whenever I miss the mark, I have a foundation to fall back on to guide me back to my North Star and to guide me back to my truth so that I can rediscover my essence when or if I get caught up, when or if I get confused about what it is that I should be doing and what I'm doing it for. And for me, being a proud Black woman is not a statement of comparison. You know, I'm a proud black woman in comparison to whom? In in comparison to no one. I'm a proud black woman because I am. Because I am. Because I come from a line of other black women who worked hard all of their lives and who did not have access to the information that I currently have, that we currently have. Like, for example, you think about some of the health challenges that we have in our community. Back in the day, as we would say, you got information about your health. If you were doing it right, you got you got information from your doctors. Or you read or you got information from a variety of sources and you know whether those sources were credible maybe maybe they weren't you know probably the most credible would obviously be your own doctor because your doctor knows you your doctor knows your history but we come i come from i'm going to say a culture in which going to the doctor was a luxury i mean let's think about it My grandmothers and my great-grandmothers, they had the majority of their children at home, okay? (laughs) Like going to the hospital did not come until many years later, and that was considered a luxury. Hence, they had a midwife or there was always someone there that could help birth our babies at home because you did not have the money usually to be able to go 
or depending on where you lived, you weren't able to even be admitted, you know? Um, so that is what is a reality, right? So many of us, of people of color, many people I would surmise even in my own family might have succumbed to preventable illnesses, might have succumbed to conditions that if they had been given the information, if they had known better, as the saying goes, if they had known better, they could have done better. And not just they could have done better for themselves, they could have done better for us. They could have passed down knowledge about, you know, healthy eating habits. And I think in this society still, and probably definitely this was a factor many years and decades ago, generations ago, we completely underestimated the impact of stress. Many of our families and our ancestors lived, to say that they lived in stressful conditions would be an understatement, but they did. And yet they persevered, but at what cost? And to that question, that rhetorical question, we will never know truly. We won't know. But what we can do in their honor is to do it better, to do it different. As the great Iyanla Van Zandt says, do it different. We focus a lot about on nutrition and nutrition is so key, but nutrition is so much more than food. It's about what we allow to enter into our eye gates, what we consume visually, what we listen to, the kind of energies that we expose ourselves to. These are some of the main contributors of stress. So this is why I stand here because despite the stressful situations and the tough times, and I'm not saying that any particular race has cornered the market on anything. That's not what I'm trying to debate. And this isn't about black supremacy, but it is a form of black pride because I should be proud as you should be proud of whoever and whatever you are. I am proud for the reasons that I just stated, some of the reasons that I have shared during this episode. This is why I'm proud. And I'm taking the conversation a step further versus to 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 change the narrative or to modify the narrative that it's okay to be celebratory over our historical figures, but you don't often have to look so far outside of your own backyard or your own purview to find someone that you can celebrate. And usually it's people that you know. It's either someone that you work with, it's someone that maybe you work for, or someone that you went to school with. It's someone that you worship with. It's someone that 
you might exercise with, that you might be in the same organization with. You can usually find someone in your circle, in your tribe, that can invoke a sense of pride and happiness and oneness and sameness and to celebrate that. Because the the challenge of looking to historical figures is that as we become a more informed society, it seems based upon how society is trending now, we are sometimes or some of us are a little less tolerant of the infallibility of human beings and human frailty. And this is not at all a means to explain away bad behavior, illegal behavior, immoral behavior. That 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 is not what I'm talking about here. I'm just talking about, as I had someone I used to work with, he used to say, look, if you look hard enough on anybody, you could find something good or bad about them, right? It just is a matter of perspective. And so the challenge of putting regular human beings on pedestals means that they can be toppled at any time. So that foundation isn't strong. So rather than maybe look to a person, maybe we can maybe focus more on their body of work to maybe take examples or even samples from their life or their accomplishments that we can maybe benchmark from or just merely be inspired by. Or you know what? Sometimes those people can serve as a perfect example of how not to be. Sometimes that works too. So I might come back and talk a little bit more about this, but I just wanted to riff a little bit about what Black history literally means to me how important it is. And it is important to me because, again, I am one and I am here, but I I represent so many who have come before me who have made untold sacrifices and cried so many tears so that I can be here. I'm the manifestation of their dreams I am their legacy, and I I intend to definitely govern myself as such. So I hope that this conversation sparks something within you. I hope that it creates an opportunity to have some dialogue and to look within your, your own life. You don't have to be Black or identify as Black, I think, to identify with this pride, with this self-pride that I think that we all should have. I think If more people were sincerely, authentically proud of themselves, I think we would see more positivity in our interactions with people, uh, certainly on social media and otherwise. I I do think that it's about having a healthy sense of self-pride and to know that We represent something so much greater than ourselves. We really do. So I look forward to you joining me on another episode of Hey Steph. But in the meantime, 
Take good care, stay safe, and see you next time. Thanks so much for listening.